Did you know that twice a year I hold a one-day interactive virtual conference to help leaders become better bosses? We call it the Boss Better Virtual Summit, and the only way to get tickets to these events is to be a subscriber to our Boss Better email newsletter. It's free. Just text the word Boss Hero to 66866 to get signed up and to be the first to know when dates are announced. That's Boss Hero, all one word, to 66866. Or you can visit bossbetternow.com to subscribe. Now let's get to the podcast. In our ongoing battle against burnout, we may need to get better at positive reappraisal. We'll tell you what that is and why it matters. Plus, laws are being passed that make it illegal to text your employees after hours. Is that a good thing? We're diving in now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and shower singer, Joe Mall. Welcome back, Boss Heroes, to our weekly show. Whether you're joining us via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Audible or iHeartRadio, or because you said, hey, Alexa, play Boss Better Now with Joe Mull, we are glad you're here. And apologies again <laughs> if I just set off your smart speaker. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> Please welcome my co-host, professional coach, Alyssa Mullet. Hello again. Hey, hello. So we've talked about like uh, some of our, I, I think we've done it on air maybe not. Uh, some of our ideas like come to us in the shower. Mm -hmm. So are you like full on singing and receiving these brilliant <laughs> ideas as well at the same time? Cause I'm kind of just like not a multitasker in that way. Like it's enough that like, I'm actually trying to clean myself and I'm thinking up greatness. I, don't, I can't sing. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think if I'm showering like early in the morning, I, I completely go in my own head. I'm thinking about the work for the day or something that I just read. And yeah, sometimes I feel like, oh, I got to write that down. Um, where the shower singing comes into play is usually if I'm a little more energized. So after if I exercise and I'm taking a shower afterwards, right? After you exercise, you're kind of all hyped up and, you know, you're awake. And yeah. uh, so I think that maybe there's less of the uh, introverted retreating into the cave of my mind than there is, I'm going to crank up the music and I'm, yeah, I'm going to sing along to Journey. Yeah, I'm going to sing <laughs> Hamilton. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the parts right now in the shower. Yep, that's me. I'm guilty as charged. That's awesome. So it's not totally acapella. You do have music playing alongside you, accompanying your your. Yes, vocals. I have a, a Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom because I like to have. There's like a little shelf way up high, and so I just it just sits up there. And so I'll just sometimes that's, just you know connect my phone and hit play and get in the shower and you know have a little bebop going on. Good, that's a good idea. That is a real good idea. I, I'm gonna. Put that on my Pinterest board for when I redo my master bathroom. <laughs> that was the most 40-ish year old woman thing you could have possibly said <laughs> <laughs> on our show. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, it was. Pin that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but tell I me you're old without telling that, me you're old. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna Ooh. I'm gonna confess though that the shower singing happens more often when I'm home alone, 
Like, I don't necessarily get the courage to really belt it out when there are other people in the house, <laughs> even though I've, I've like been a singer for a long time and I've I've done that publicly and still do it publicly. So I'm not terrible, but like just being able to be totally free with it and let it rip, I feel like I need to be yeah. home alone. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're going to start today, Alyssa, uh, with something that, that you and I started talking about a little bit offline. Uh, Alyssa brought me an idea for uh, our podcast this week, and I'm really excited about this. Um, she came across this concept called positive reappraisal in a book that that you were reading, Alyssa, about burnout. And so um, I think this is something that We've talked with leaders about in the past and maybe use some different labels to talk about it. Um, but I'm intrigued by how using this approach can actually be a powerful tool to in, in navigate burnout. And so I'm going to turn it over to you so you can tell us what is positive reappraisal and why can it be helpful when facing burnout? Yeah, so I'm reading this book called, literally, Burnout by Dr. Emily Nagazi and Amelia Nagazi, her sister. And I'm going to read the specific phrase because I think it's important to understand the how she lines it up here. But the tactic positive reappraisal is specific to stressors that you are experiencing that you are experiencing that are not under your control. So put that framework into your brain hole, okay? So with positive reappraisal, you can acknowledge when things are difficult and you recognize the difficulty you are experiencing is in fact worth it. It is actually an opportunity. It does not mean positive reappraisal does not mean and is not as simplistic as just simply saying, oh, I'm going to find the silver lining or look on the bright side. Mm -hmm. That's not what this is because we've talked about that whole toxic, toxic positivity, positivity. Yep. right? This is a way of thinking. So the, one of the really great um, analogies she gives in setting this up is like you're stuck in traffic. Again, it's mm -hmm. nothing. It's a stressor you cannot control. But it's a framework for your brain to try to, okay, how can I look at what I am experiencing in sitting in this traffic and getting so frustrated? How can I look at that in a way of it's worth it? It's worth it that I I have this time now that I can prepare and think about that meeting before I rush into it. I can now, you know, oh, look, I'm feeling the sunshine on my face. Oh, okay. I, I'm taking the time. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm doing some deep breathing. Hey, I'm getting that in today. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's trying to understand what that challenge is offering you. It's that whole thing of appealing to our inner curiosity. And that's, you know, that's where my, that's where the juicy stuff is for me. And that, so that's why I kind of really um, attached myself to this concept of positive reappraisal. Because I think as leaders, in trying to manage our own um, energy in the workplace, this could be really an important tactic. Mm -hmm. Um and I wonder what your thoughts are. What do you think? Do you have this mindset already? Can you align your thinking with this, you know, positive reappraisal? Um, 
What are your thoughts, Joe? Um, yeah, yes. I, I, we talked in a recent episode about the whole systems thinking, right? The fast thinking and the slow thinking and how our initial reactions are emotional and reactive and not very uh, deep or thoughtful. Um, and then with a little bit of time and sometimes some intentionality, um, we get to a more thoughtful way of looking at things. Um, I think this approach of positive reappraisal helps us get through the the fast and irrational thinking more quickly. Uh, and it becomes a tool, it becomes a device that we can use to get to more substantive thinking about things. And I think we've probably used other terms in, in, in the workplace, maybe like reframing, I think is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And that, that sounds like it's a cousin of this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because when you're sitting in traffic, the first thing you think is like, you're, you're, some people are white knuckling the steering wheel and like, this is some bullshit. Like, let's go. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then that question of, is it worth, I can't control it. Right. Uh, and is it worth it for me to have that reaction? Right. And and so some of what you described is reframing, right? This idea of, well, okay, this is a chance for me to maybe listen to the news on the radio or, or listen to some music or feel the sun on my face and just take a breath. And, but then that, is it worth it question, I think is really interesting because what happens if you continue down the path of anger and frustration while sitting in traffic? Well, you become this ragey idiot, right, Who <laughs> who's flipping people off. Or maybe you try to go up the shoulder and you do something dumb. And, and if you have that intentional thought of, is it worth it? No, because at the, at the other end of that is maybe causing an accident or getting into a dispute or just arriving at work in a state of mind that's not going to move me toward success or even effectiveness. And so I think that is it worth it question is really interesting as and really unique as a part of this process. Is it worth it if I continue to allow myself to dwell on the negative aspects of the situation I'm in that I can't control? Hmm. Interesting. See, to, uh, this is where our uh, similarities in like diverge a bit because okay. the way that I approach it, I guess this might be just because again that that deep curiosity. It's a you know like kind of a core value for me. Is um, I assume I have to assume that it is worth it. I don't even question. Is it okay? I have to assume it is, and that my uh, the real work of my brain then becomes trying to figure out all the ways that it is worth it, mm-hmm. and 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 focusing my energy on making sure I get real curious. So there's this assumption in my brain of it's automatically worth it. Now, can you put this in the context because we're talking about this in a really kind of macro and amorphous, ambiguous way. So put what you are describing as as your thought processes where you automatically assume that it's worth it. Can you put that into a real world scenario? Oh, so outside of like the traffic thing, you know, I certainly experience, you know, like – frustrations, whether you're trying to like manage your own health and, um, you know, you're not getting through or you can't get the appointment that you want. Again, things that you 
your control is very limited. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, in an actuality, probably a zero, mm-hmm. zero, zero point zero, right? Or experiencing, oh, this is like one that I think everyone experiences is other people, like how other people react to you. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because again, you have zero control over what, how they experience you. You can just do what you do and what, they choose to do with that is is totally on them. Um, when I think about trying to set boundaries with people and how I experience those reactions, it becomes automatic that I must think that just because it is difficult for me to experience them being mad at me or them not speaking to me or something like that, as a reaction that that boundary isn't worth it. Um, it's easy to, to think that way, but uh, for me, the work comes from assuming then that it is worth that boundary that I set. It is the work of my brain to figure out how all of that connects to how worth it it is. So what will I experience when this person can uphold my boundary? Um, why is this so important to me personally? Why is this boundary feel so um, hurtful whenever they said that? Um, there is this kind of thought pattern around, I can't control them, but the internal way that I can kind of control (laughs) and evaluate is led through this curiosity Mm -hmm. of it being worth it because this is the work of becoming a strongly curious person that's living on this earth. But my kids got a book a few years ago. I went to a conference. I was the keynote speaker for a conference and this organization gave everybody uh, in the audience, all their employees, this children's book. It was called What Do You Do With a Problem? Hmm. Um, I think that's what it's called. I'm going to okay. regret that if it's not right. Um, but it's got this beautiful artwork. It's got these different kind of pencil drawings in, in color um, of a kid who has a problem. And the problem is this big amorphous, I think they've used that word twice in this episode already. Um, it looks like scribbles, right? It looks like a storm cloud, okay. but it's all scribbles. Uh, and you move through the children's book and you read about how um, the kid decided to keep peeling back and, and and trying to pull apart the problem to see what was inside of it. Hmm. And the, the you get to the end of the book and what you found out was that inside of the problem was an opportunity. Uh, And so then it becomes, what do you do with an opportunity? And so um, what's funny is that, so we got this book and I've I've read it to my kids a couple of times. And it's really a neat way to sort of think about helping people become resilient and thoughtful and reframe and all the things that we're sort of talking about here. But it reminds me of a boss that I I used to have. His name was Tim. He was um, in HR. And um, when I first started working for Tim, um, every single time I would bring him a problem, he would say, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity. (laughs) And the first couple of times he did that, I was like, dude, that's annoying. Like, I would say that in my head. I'd be like, no, it's a problem, Tim. It's a it's a 19-volt problem, okay? I've got 147 different kinds of problems inside this problem, Tim. 
I don't want to, I don't want your, your, you know. <laughs> yeah. You don't want the contrite. Oh, it's right. an opportunity. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I get but that. But guess what happened? I worked for the guy for, I, I forget how long I worked for Tim, a year or two. And within weeks, I, it was predictive. I knew that when I brought a problem to Tim, the first thing he was going to say was, okay, but what's the opportunity? And so my mind was doing it. And I ended up thinking differently about things, like credit to Tim, because it was it's really easy to, to say that to somebody and know that they're going to roll their eyes at you and be like, that's trite. You know, like, you know, can we come back that's down like- here to real people land where this is a big problem? But that actually helps train your brain in the ways that you're talking about. Yeah, it it chooses to, again, spark a different level of wavelength of here's this frustration and pissed offness and there's this thing I can't control. There's this Mm -hmm. problem, this big old problem. And instantaneously, we want to stay in that place because somehow we think that that's where the solution lies as well, right? Or that's where our control lies. And it's not. It's actually in that opportunity, in that curiosity about where the opportunity is mm-hmm. and the worth of that difficulty that's the that's the stretch the positive reappraisal is jump being able to go from here sitting in this real big frustration to this okay here's this opportunity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and what can i do with this opportunity and how can i look at this it's almost Pavlovian. <laughs> Tim Tim was a secret genius. <laughs> he did that to you. Well, and what you've really given us here, Alyssa, is a, a roadmap for the coaching conversation that bosses can have with employees when they bring a problem or a frustration to them. Because the, the first question becomes, okay, how much control do you have over that? Hmm. And then the employee can say, okay, well, not a lot. All right. Um but what are you feeling? Okay, I'm feeling frustrated and da, 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 da. okay, is it worth it? If you have no control over it and you're feeling all that stuff, is it is it worth it? And and should we allow ourselves to continue feeling that way? Like let's name it, let's acknowledge yeah. it, let's feel it for a moment, but let's not let that take over. And then you yeah. can go, okay, now now forgive what you might roll your eyes at, but this is actually how we deal with this kind of stuff is where's the opportunity? Right. Yeah. What, what? What? Why? Why might this be a good thing? And this is a, a an excellent thought pattern. You know, I presented it as how we as leaders can try to internalize this, right? Yeah. As a as a positive reprisal. But what you're you're expanding it to is how that sets us up for success in a coaching conversation. Yeah. And trying to teach this and ingrain this. Uh, much like Tim did, <laughs> uh, all of those years ago, is to is to be able to give people that tactic, that strategy, that reframing, however we want to call it. Um, that's an important uh, path forward. I think it's it's another tool in the toolbox. Well, and you talked about internalizing this for ourselves, but internalizing really is just coaching conversations as self talk. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where you can walk through and ask, you know, so it's the same questions that you would ask yourself to internalize it. You can then make explicit 
in your conversations with your direct reports and actually coach. And, you know, they may not have built the self-talk for themselves yet that helps them positively reappraise certain situations, especially the ones that they do not control. And so you're just going to do it for them. Hashtag coaching. That's what it is. (laughs) True story. (laughs) True story. (laughs) Well, thanks for the idea, Alyssa. I think that's a really interesting conversation. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you agree uh, with something that one of us said? Do you strongly disagree? Do you find yourself thinking they are full of crap? Well, then we want you (laughs) to add to our discussion. And we also always invite you to ask a question of your own. Any and all messages are welcome. Just email us at bossbetternow at gmail.com. We arrive now at the camaraderie question of the week. Alyssa, bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why every week we bring a question that our listeners can use in their interactions with others, one-on-one, in groups, online, in the room, to facilitate connection and to build camaraderie. Our question this week is this. Which birthday in your life so far has been the most significant one and why? And I, I want to give a little bit of context for this question because I'm not asking like most significant in terms of that's the year I got this present or that year the cake was amazing. I'm talking about when you think about each age of your life, <laughs> which turning which number has been the most significant one so far and why? What say you? Huh. Uh, well, now that you say it, I had one answer in mind when I first saw, thought of this question. And then the now whenever you actually speak it into the world, it means something different to me. Well, you can um, give us both. It's our podcast. You can do whatever we want. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. Um, my thought pattern is like, uh, I think 30. Um, and I say that because I remember it so vividly, like I was 29 and getting out of the hospital Mm -hmm. for (laughs) literal physical burnout of Mm -hmm. my body uh, and that had created an autoimmune disease. And I remember getting out of the hospital after spending a week plus there and thinking, oh my gosh, I at least I got out before my 30th birthday. Like, mm. I, and thinking, I'm only 30, and this is what I've done to myself already. Mm. Like, this is a big old turning point. I I gotta I gotta do something different if I am gonna get to 40. What a positive reappraisal. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that th- that you found yourself reflectively going, thank God I got so sick so fast. Otherwise, yeah. this might have carried on for such a long time. I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but that's kind of along the Over a course of a couple of years, probably, that's okay. what I eventually got to. But in the moment, I distinctly remember thinking... I can't, I, I got to do something different yeah. <laughs> because this is not how I, I would have ever imagined, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
the days leading up to my 30th birthday. Yeah. So, yeah, that was definitely pivotal. 30, the big 3-0. The big 3-0. And, and not because I felt like I was getting old. It was literally was that events. I was, I was yeah. like, killing myself yeah. <laughs> through burnout. Yeah, and okay. stress. So okay. that was an important one. <laughs> Now, if you give something lighthearted, I'm going to feel a little... No, no. Uh, I don't have a lighthearted answer. Um, it's okay. just more of an observation because I, I thought about this one. I wanted to come up with something unique and be like, well, 38 and a half. No. I, um, I, I think my answer is 40. And so I'm right about to turn 45. Um, and as I thought about this question, I thought, well, 40 felt like... I had arrived at the place I had been striving toward. Mm. So I hit 40 and I had just had our third kid. Well, I didn't have it. My wife had it. I was there. And <laughs> so we had, you know, we had three kids and the trilogy was complete. And um, I was had built my business to the point where it was just kind of arriving at a place that it was doing all right. It was doing well. I was, I was earning a nice living. Um, I, for the first time in my life, wasn't like living paycheck to paycheck. And it was like, I was able to look around and kind of say, oh, okay. Like this is, I'm not, I'm not an up and coming adult. I'm like a full blown adult. Right. I'm not trying I my adult to hard. Right. Yeah. I'm not like trying to start a family. Like I've I've arrived at like the prime years of my adult life. Um, you know, we use the term over the hill to talk about getting old. I guess I think of it as like at 40, you've arrived at the crest of the hill and you can see the top. Like you're kind of near the top. And um now if somebody listening to this right now who just turned 60 who are like, My life just begin is beginning, pal. Like you're too young to understand. You're probably right, you know? And um, but I feel like the top of the hill is the next 20 years. And I'm gonna like these next 20 years are I'm raising my kids and I'm doing the work that I enjoy doing and I'm I'm living the the act life that I can live with all of these things in it that I'm just super grateful for. And it feels like that there was kind of a before and after for that that was probably right mm. around my 40th birthday. Mm. Is that lighthearted or is that along the lines of I'm, no, no, like that's, significance? The question asks for significance. Yeah. yeah. No, that's beautiful. I, I, that... This book, you know, I, I talk about like seasons of life, but that's like mm -hmm. chapters of life. And and so I, I can definitely identify there there was a turning of the page, you know, mm -hmm. for both yeah. of us. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to ask this question of teams because I think you're going to get some folks who give you some depth on those answers, mm -hmm. right? But if the wrong person goes first, be like, oh, bro, my 23rd was like crazy, man. I met this girl and I mean, blow your mind, you know, <laughs> if you, if you, <laughs> If the wrong person goes first, we went to Vegas for four days and I only remember the first, you know, that was the greatest birthday ever. You know, you get all kind of different answers. And so maybe some context setting like we talked about in terms of like turning that age significance. I think that that could be helpful. Or just ask people, what was the best birthday celebration you ever had? If you want to go the other way, keep it lighthearted and have fun. You could do that. 
can I just have a moment for your surfer bro? <laughs> I am like dying. That was so spot on. That was Righteous, awesome. dude. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, we're glad we entertain here on the show. And that's the camaraderie question of the week. All right, folks, I want to take a moment here uh, just to shout out our own Alyssa Mullet and the work that she does as a coach. If you've ever worked with a professional coach, I mean a legit credentialed experienced coach, sadly, there are a lot of folks out there who call themselves a coach who do not check all those boxes, as Alyssa does. Uh, if you've ever worked with a coach, then you know how supportive and clarifying and transformative coaching can be. A coach can help others improve in countless ways. They can help leaders become more adaptable or collaborative or more emotionally intelligent. They can help someone struggling with work-life balance or someone whose style is falling flat at work uh, or just tackle other sensitive issues that live behind closed doors. And in recent months, Alyssa has worked with a number of different folks, burned out physicians, overwhelmed executives, colleagues in conflict, and even underperforming managers. And in each case, she has helped nurture a path to improvement for those folks. So if you or someone on your team is struggling and you want to learn more about working with Alyssa as a coach, you can just email us, hello at joemall.com, and we can get you info about how that works. We can get you pricing for services and then get you connected to Alyssa quickly. And so I just wanted to say that because there are a lot of folks out there right now, Alyssa, who are just hoping that things will improve on their own, but you know, hope isn't a strategy. And if it's change you want, then it's a coach you need. And so uh, I'll say the email address again, hello, H-E-L-L-O at joemall.com. And that brings us to our third segment for today. Should we stop texting employees? There is some interesting news out of Ontario, Canada. Ontario has passed a law Alyssa, that grants workers the right to disconnect from their jobs outside of work. Uh, and actually, similar laws have been passed in France and Spain and Portugal. Um, these are trends that we're seeing, with the idea being uh, that workers should not be expected to engage with their responsibilities after work hours. Uh, and Ontario is the first jurisdiction in Canada to do this. Uh, it's an effort to prioritize workers' mental health uh, and a shift toward better work-life balance. Uh, with, so the focus here is on well-being and um, especially for folks where there has been this blurring of lines in, in terms of physical separation between work, people who are working from home and, and whatnot. Um, and so the bill, I'm pulling it up here, it's called the Working for Workers Act, and it defines disconnecting from work as not engaging in work-related communication, including emails, telephone calls, video calls, sending and reviewing messages uh, in an effort to help people feel like they can get away from the office, even with the encroachment of modern technology. And so um, this is a trend. Uh, these are not just conversations that we're seeing legislatively. This is a trend that we're seeing in organizations who are working to create better boundaries. We just had Maura Thomas on the show who talked about some of those boundaries. Um, what's your reaction to this, Alyssa? And is this a good thing? I freaking love it. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, and I love it because of the word you just said, boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, when we have encouraged folks to see themselves outside of what it is they do. 
Mm-hmm. This concept of work is not your identity, mm-hmm. right? Which is a struggle for a lot of people. Um, it comes with trying to do that comes with this angst of I'm the only one and, you know, putting that boundary or those boundaries in place that I'm not available or that I'm not, you know, goes against what everybody else is doing. And so there's this, you know, fear of missing out. There's this, what will be the retaliation? What will be all of the trickle down or the trickle up effect of me setting that boundary? And whenever governments and uh, organizations start to do this as a whole, it removes that alienation that you feel that making that boundary might mean for you specifically to your career. Um, It puts the boundary back where it is in the work rather Mm -hmm. than on you, the person. To initiate. And so I'm all for things that help all of us start to disconnect in a very real way um, from entangling only our self-worth, our all of those things into what it is we do. Well said. And I, and I think there's been this kind of slow climb toward an expected level of access to people that didn't exist previously uh, with the advent of smartphones and instant messaging and texting. Um, Don't get me started on the hypocrisy of organizations who have a policy that their employees are not allowed to use their phones during work hours and then immediately expect to be able to text them after hours. Right. I need you to come in. You know, or I need you to work on Saturday, you know, from their boss. So I can't look at my phone at work when you're paying me, but you expect me to look at it right away when you want to be in touch with me after work. That's some bunk right Mm. there. Um, But I think what's interesting here about this is, yes, there is anything that goes to to protect workers' time outside of work, I'm in favor of. And anything that helps people set, just as you said, better boundaries, uh, I am in favor of. I I think what's interesting is that there's a generational dynamic at play here. Um, You know, we're both in our 40s, and Mm -hmm. I, as a supervisor, I don't like texting my employees after hours. I don't like it at all. I feel like it's an intrusion. And just like, I don't like to be text after hours. Like, if, 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 People are texting me about work after hours. I'm like, yo, this is my family time. Like the building better be on fire if you're texting me. Um, And Jamie's listening to us right now. And she's like, does that mean I shouldn't text him? And no, Jamie, you're fine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The the thing is, though, that I know that I'm of a certain generation that thinks about this in that way. And I know that, you know, people who are younger than me actually prefer – text communication and that sort of instant messaging uh, over phone calls. And so there's a balance to be struck here because I think one of the things that we talk about on the show a lot is meet people where they are and you learn about how people want to be communicated with. And if what you find out is some people just would rather you send them an email versus a text, then you got to remember that. Whereas some people would rather you send them a text versus an email, then okay. So I don't think of it as 
off-limits and good or bad, I think of it as very circumstantial. And so the circumstance with these laws is the after hours outside of work and the expectation that people should then respond immediately. Um, because you know you can you can go online and you can search for all these different stories and memes about like texts from my boss and it's mm-hmm. amazing the expectations that people have to be responded to right away in a text message whereas if i'm an employee and i decide hey i went home i worked all day i'm tired i don't feel well i'm going to go to bed and then you end up having like a 14 hour sleep and then you get up and you take your kid to the soccer game and then you go to the grocery store and you just never look at your phone and what you look down and you see is your boss has sent you four text messages about changing your schedule and coming in, but you never saw it. Mm-hmm. And now the boss is mad at you. And they don't have a right to that instant response. And so that's that's a big part of why I like these laws, which, which just goes like, hey, if you need that person to switch on Saturday, dial the number and ring the phone and be like, hey, sorry to bother you during your off time. Any chance I could convince you to switch your shift to Saturday, you know, leave a voicemail, call me back. And... That kind of interaction, I think, is healthier than just the I should have access to you at any time expectation that comes with a text message. Yeah. Uh, When you talked about the being generational, I I think that that's uh, very true. And the way that sometimes I experience this is, um, you know, I have uh, a network of folks that I interact with online and, you know, one super smart doctor just rocking the world uh female leader that i uh really look up to posted about you know she's got grants due she's got this due and now she's in her third quarantine because her youngest is too young to wear a mask and daycare's had an incident right and Dear Aunt Shirley, not her real name, uh, first (laughs) comment, the first comment is, oh, enjoy this time. You'll never get it back. (laughs) Shirley, Shirley, we have never experienced this time ever. (laughs) You have never been here. There has never been a time and a place in which you have experienced trying to have a full-time career manage a pandemic and a family of however many being in quarantine you surely we don't want this time back you don't have the right <laughs> to say that to surely anyone. you're joking <laughs> sorry i could not resist oh more of your dad jokes i'll take it i'll take it but the, you know the if this this whole concept of what we think we have rights to mm-hmm. what you think other people are experiencing and what they should experience mm-hmm. being all again centered upon what you have experienced is bunk you have to throw that all out the window you've never been in that person's shoes before you've never been in this time and place before in their shoes so you don't have the right to continually place yourself there when I was looking up some more details about the law in Ontario, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the media outlets up there that was writing about it was trying to do a pros and cons kind of oh, okay. um, analysis of the law. Like, okay, here's what here's what proponents of the law say 
uh, why it's a good thing. And here's what critics say. Like, here's the downsides of this law. And this is unreal to me. Um, from this article, opponents say the legislation might reduce productivity as managers will have less oversight of when employees are actually working. <laughs> and ready for this? This might disproportionately affect the careers of women who opt to disconnect to tend to household chores and caregiving while their male counterparts choose to work additional hours. Mm. That is some next level, like, uh, trolling, right? Mm -hmm. That is that is some um, next level uh, cons concern that is, uh, well, actually, it's, it's uh, patriarchy disguised as concern, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, the the idea that, oh, well, some people are going to start getting away with things because you can't text them whenever you want. We've talked about this on the show. Most people are good people with doing a good job. And if you build all of your systems around assuming that people are bad and going to get away with murder, you actually do more harm than good. And this yeah. whole, you may disproportionately affect the careers of women who opt to disconnect to 10 household chores and caregiving while male counterparts choose to work additional hours – how about we create systems that don't penalize women rather than saying, well, we can't carry on this unfortunate circumstance if this law passes? Mm-hmm. I, I am choosing to not speak because my, my, <laughs> my rage against the patriarchy might come out a little too strong. So I agree. Well, and, and, and anytime you hear people pushing back against a law like this, it's usually just to preserve the systems that have already resulted in, in, at least in the U.S., us become the most overworked industrialized nation on earth and our jobs encroaching into every corner of our lives. I see these kinds of laws and like similar policies that organizations are instituting as a good thing, as, as attempting to provide some level of protection and respect for the rights of people to not be on call 24-7. I think it's a good thing. You know, if this if this bothers you, if this if this thought pattern of like I, I won't be able to do this and I won't be able to control that, that's a you problem. Mm. You better check your box because you're trying to preserve your own power, and that that is how you fail. Well said. All right, folks, that's our show for this week. Hey, if you want to make sure you get new episodes of the podcast as soon as they are released, then just hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening. If you're streaming on the podcast website, then pick a platform and download it to your phone. Most of them are free, like Audible or Amazon Music or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or iHeartRadio, all free. And we are on all of those. We're everywhere. We're in all the places. So once you pick a platform, search for our show and hit the subscribe button. And then voila. La. New episodes will be teed up for you each week as soon as they come out. For now, thanks for listening, and we will see you back here next week. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.